Let us begin our Palm Sunday sermon with prayer. Lord God, ruler of heaven and earth, cleanse our lives and purify our hearts so that your son, the king of glory, may come in and lead us rejoicing to your heavenly city, where with the Holy Spirit you live and reign, one God, now and forever. Amen. Our text for our sermon is the gospel history according to the Apostle Matthew as recorded in chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. To remind you of that account, I will read verses 8 and 9. A very large crowd spread their outer clothing on the road. Others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them out on the road. The crowds who went in front of him and those who followed kept shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. This is the gospel history of our Lord. When those crowds laid their cloaks out upon the road, when they spread the palm branches, they were actually rolling out the proverbial red carpet for someone, weren't they? And they were rolling that red carpet out because they wanted to glorify Jesus. Many a Christian, mistakenly understanding the word of God, wanting to glorify God, ends up doing the opposite. And so as we work through today's text, we will ask the question, how do we glorify Christ as the King of Kings? Our text begins telling us in verse 1 through 3, as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples telling them, Go to the village ahead of you. Immediately you will find a donkey tied there along with her colt. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you are to say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. After Jesus tells them, Go to the village ahead of you, and there's a colt and donkey, and you know, bring them here, the thought usually doesn't pop into our heads that the disciples could have said, No! Lord, if you're going to enter into Jerusalem, a donkey is not what we want you riding in on. You need to ride in on a brilliant war, Steve. He could have said, Lord, it's been a long day. Somebody else needs to do that. Oh, and that's servant's work. You send somebody else. I can go on giving one excuse after the other. Right away, as we ask the question, how do we glorify Christ as the King of Kings? You'll notice they actually obeyed his word and believed his word. They had to listen to his word, to obey his word and believe his word. And think about the miracle that his word worked. The Matthew tells us that they, he told them, if somebody asks what you're doing, he, they were to respond, the Lord needs them and they will send them at once. Well, when we read the other gospel chroniclers, we find out that exactly that happened. They start to untie the donkey and her colt and the people standing by said, what are you doing? And they said, the Lord needs them. Imagine if I walked out to your car, <laughs> hot wired it. Started to drive away. What are you doing? The Lord needs it. Great, I'm calling 911, right? The word worked. They had to trust that word. They had to listen to that word. They had to obey that word. But the word worked. And we're told in verse 6 of our text, the disciples went and did just as Jesus commanded them. Do you ever stop to think how much you glorify God simply by believing Him? And you do that by obeying his word. In fact, in John chapter 8, verse 31, we're told, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, 
If you remain in my word, you are really my disciples. You will also know the truth, and the truth will set you free. See, we have a sinful nature. And that sinful nature is just pounded by the devil's lies, and it does not want to obey or believe in God's word. And what's going on as they enter Jerusalem is a perfect example of that. It becomes clear that the disciples and the other people laying out the palm branches, they thought Jesus was coming into Jerusalem as the son of David to establish an earthly political kingdom to save them by driving the Romans out of town, to conquer the entire Roman Empire, so that they could sit atop and have bread coming to them without having to work. Yeah, the idea of lazy people wanting a government that will take your property and distribute it to other people who don't work as hard uh, is just as old as mankind having invented his first government. That's what they wanted, and they were not listening. Jesus had told the disciples, I'm going to Jerusalem to die for you. Of course, we know Peter rebuked him the one time, and Jesus has to rebuke Peter. And even after Jesus rises, they say, Lord, are you going to establish your earthly kingdom? No! My kingdom is spiritual. It's my rule in your hearts. This is why I'm emphasizing, how do we glorify Christ as the king? We have to obey his word by listening to it. Unbelief makes him the king our sinful nature wants, not the true king that we need. And in verse 4, we're told this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Tell the daughter of Zion, look, your king comes to you humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. As we heard from that prophet in Zechariah chapter 9, our Old Testament lesson for today, he continued talking about Jesus being a king of peace. If you're coming in to wage war, if you're coming in to drive the strongest military at that time ever known in history out of town, you don't come in riding on a donkey, let alone an unbroken colt of a donkey. You come in on a war horse. This is not the glorious entry of a king you would expect, because if he wasn't going to come in on a war horse, you'd expect him on a golden-laid ivory chariot, right? Some says, look at my political, earthly, worldly glory. He's the king of peace. He came to win peace with God because you and I, in our natural condition, are mean, lean, God-hating machines. Our sinful nature is God's enemy, refuses to see God as a loving God. He came to pay for our sins so that God would be and is your and my father. How do we glorify Christ as the King of Kings? We have to hear His Word and obey His Word and believe in Him. His Word actually creates that belief. And the single greatest thing, I don't want to pit God's Word against itself, that we need to know is summarized in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. Oh, but our sinful nature will not say amen to that. Our sinful nature will say, yeah, you got to do that. And you got to go to church a certain number of times at the time our group has decided. You have to give enough offering. You have to donate enough of your time. You have to give enough to charity. You have to act holy enough. There are certain words you have to make sure you never, ever use. That's all turning salvation into something you earn. It is built into us. It's the religion of our sinful nature. 
There's no such thing as a free lunch in this world. So why would the single most important thing of all eternity be free, reasons our sinful nature? You have to earn it. And that's the natural religion that the Holy Spirit has to overcome. And he does that by God's word. And so in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, we're told, indeed, it's by grace you have been saved. That Greek word that we translate as grace, it's a gift. If I say I'm going to give you a gift, but you have to pay me 10 bucks towards it, that's not a gift. Indeed, it's by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared in advance so that we would walk in them. God saves you. You then do good works that are built into your new person in order to glorify God. You couldn't do it unless you were saved. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, the single greatest act of glory that we give to Christ is to trust His Word, especially to trust what it says about our salvation. That Jesus is true God who became true man, who lived His life doing 100% keeping the law, and then took 100% of the punishment for our sins, so that by the faith the Holy Spirit gives us through that Word, you are 100% saved by Christ. How do we glorify Christ as the King of Kings? Believe Him by obeying His Word and by trusting His Word. Now there's another way that the crowds were glorifying Christ that day. Starting at verse 9 through 11, we're told, The crowds who went in front of Him and those who followed kept shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up asking, Who is this? And the crowds were saying, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. They were crying this out. They were shouting this out. They were confessing him the whole entire time. And when they get into Jerusalem and people say, Who is this? They confessed the truth about him. This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. We talked about works earlier. There are churches that talk about confessing Christ and they say deeds, not creeds. Now, ironically, that statement is a creed in and of itself. But your actions do speak something. They are a confession. If I tell you all day long that I think that it's wrong to tamper with the word of God and then I turn around and twist the word of God to suit my will, I'm a hypocrite. So yes, part of the way we confess Him is with those good works in which we cling to His Word and, and we show our love to Him. But do you ever think that when God opens up the door, you see your neighbor hurting? Maybe they're a believer, maybe they're not. In either case, that when you comfort them with Christ, you're confessing Christ. When you show your neighbor their sin, not in an arrogant, hypocritical, pharisaical, self-righteous way, but so that you can show them, I got the cure. I got the blood of Christ. I can pour it on you now. You're confessing Christ. When you share your faith, you're confessing Christ. Romans chapter 10 verses 9 through 11 spells this out clearly. It says, Certainly if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with the, with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. And it is with the mouth that a person confesses, resulting in salvation. For Scripture says, everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. 
I mentioned creeds a minute ago. Creeds are not the Word of God. They're drawn from the Word of God. I love it when I tell my catechism kids their homework for the week is to memorize the Apostles' Creed. And the ones who come to church regularly always say, Woohoo, we don't have any homework this week. You know what I mean? They've grown up hearing it Sunday after Sunday. Many times, even the ones who don't realize, they come back and say, Wow, Pastor, I thought it was going to be a struggle to memorize that. I didn't realize I already knew it. But do you know what a blessing it is to have a simple statement of faith? Let me give you one example. We live in Wyoming. We're the front porch to a very large cult that is not Christian, but they've stolen from the Bible. And, you know, they have those young men that wear name tags that say elder. They wear white shirts and ties. They come knocking on your door. And Rollins, where I grew up, boy, did they come knocking on our door. And I remember when they came, they would ask my dad what he would believe. And dad did not hesitate. He would start uh, reciting the Apostles' Creed. The conversation never got into their cult leader and everything else. They would stop. And lots of times, they would get hung up on, he descended into hell. I didn't know that. Why would he do that? It was a victory parade. It's amazing how having a statement like that, and again, it's not Scripture, but it's drawn from Scripture, where you're able immediately. And as I've said, your actions do that, and your words of sharing Christ's love do that. How do we glorify Christ as the King of Kings? Believe Him and confess Him. Now, another thing we could miss in verse 9, if we listen to it, we're told, the crowds who went in front of Him and those who follow kept shouting, Hosanna! To the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. That word Hosanna. It's an Aramaic word. And whether it's Aramaic or Hebrew. When you put na at the end of an imperative. You're making it a polite request. And what they're requesting in Aramaic is. Please save us. Now. We've already mentioned that what they had in mind. Please save us was. Get these Romans out of our town. But God hears our prayers. And by the blood of Christ, the Holy Spirit intercedes. He washes the sin off the prayer. And He answers it according to what we really need. They were crying out, please save us. And that's exactly why Jesus came. On Good Friday, He will come out of town through another gate than the one He entered in. And He'll have a cross on His back. And he will be nailed to that cross and he will give up his life on that cross so that he could answer that prayer. Not just for them, but for you and I so that we can be confident we are saved. Now, I hear atheists scream out, you claim your God's all-knowing. Why do you need to pray to him? God already knows what you want. My sons are young men now. Sometimes I still do it, but especially when they were younger... I would wait, even though I knew they needed it. I would wait for them to ask. God communicates to you through His Word. We communicate to God through prayer. Whenever you're talking to God, you're praying to God. And when we're not sure what to pray for, don't worry about it. Take and give the Lord your problem and leave it there. Lord, I have cancer. Lord, finances are getting tight. Lord, I'm not feeling too well. Lord, I'm worried about my neighbor. Amazing thing is, when I pray about my neighbor, guess who God normally sends to help my neighbor? He opens up the door. And this, we're praying to our Heavenly Father. Christ has made Him our Father. And so in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 7, verses 7 through 11, Christ tells us, 
Keep asking and it will be given to you. Keep seeking and you will find. Keep knocking and it will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives and everyone who seeks finds and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Who among you, if his son asks him for bread, would give him a stone? Or who, if his son asks for fish, would give him a snake? Then if you know how to give good gifts to your children, even though you are evil, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? You'd be surprised how many times people say, Oh, Pastor, I thought we could only bring our really big problems to the Lord. We can bring all of our problems to Him. And lots of times the Lord lets us deal with hardships because we're not bringing them to Him. And as soon as we do, He says, There we go, and now here's the answer. And sometimes the things we're, pra- we're praying for, they're not exactly what's best for us. Like the people shouting Hosanna, what they had in mind that day, He says, i got a better answer for you, and I'm going to give it to you in my good time. How do we glorify Christ as the King of Kings? Believe Him, confess Him, pray to Him. He went to that cross to remove the barrier that kept Him from hearing us, your and my sins. And so He hears and answers our prayers. Now another thing we could miss, if we look at verse 10, we're told, When He entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up by asking, Who is this? And the crowds were saying, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. What did a true prophet of the Lord do? They told the will of God. It could be God's will in the past. It could be God's will in the present. It could be God's will in the future. It could be two of those three. It could be all of those three at once. But a true prophet of the Lord proclaimed God's will. One of the greatest ways we glorify God is to hear his word, hear his will, and then submit to it. One of the hardest things to pray in the Lord's Prayer, besides forgive us our trespasses as as we forgive those who trespass against us, which means like that parable where the guy owed years of wages and was forgiven, but then couldn't turn around and forgive a man who owed him a couple of months worth of wages. We're saying, no, don't let us be like that guy. But the other part, another part that's very difficult to pray when you think about it in the Lord's Prayer is, Thy will be done. Our sinful nature thinks it knows better than God. And let's admit it, God knows everything. He knows your future. Some of the things I've prayed for in my life where God said not yet, it's because God knew a lot of things I didn't know. He knew what was coming down the turnpike, if you will. And when we have hardships and things, it can be very difficult to say, This is to the Lord's glory. He's using it for my good. Because we do not know every precise detail of God's will in our daily lives. Why did I get this sliver at work? Why is my boss being so mean to me? But we do know the big picture. The big picture is God has already saved you. Heaven is already yours. And knowing that by the faith he gives us, we're able to know that all the rest serves that big picture. That you arrive safely in heaven. And there are many times we deal hardships in our life that God's using them not just to keep you in your faith, but to bring your neighbor into or keep your neighbor in the faith. How do we glorify Christ as King of Kings? Believe Him, confess Him, pray to Him, submit to His will. Verse 7 tells us, They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their outer clothing on them, and he sat on it. A very large crowd spread their outer clothing on the road. Others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them out on the road. 
What kind of a saddle is this? It's not the saddle of an earthly political king. The disciples take their cloaks off and he sits on them. Now, when you ride animals like horses, you'll find that lots of times when they start, they'll start sweating where your body is contacting them, like where your legs and stuff are. By laying their cloaks down, they're going to have to wash them. And what about everybody else? Those who have the cloak, they're throwing it down on the ground so that the colt and its mama can walk on them. Well, I served in a small town where once a year, as they kicked off the big rodeo week, they herd cattle down Main Street in town. You didn't want to be wearing nice church shoes walking down the middle of the street right after that. Imagine laying your cloak down and then running ahead and grabbing it and laying it down again, then running, grabbing it, running ahead and laying it down again. And who knows what kind of mud and excrement may be getting on that. And those who did not have the cloak, they're running and grabbing palm branches and laying out the red carpet. They were serving the Lord by what the Lord had provided to them. God gives to us the things we need to survive But he also gives us extra that we can return thanks to him. What a loving parent. But those aren't the only gifts he gives us. He gives us natural gifts. I'm going to use an example that has not happened since I've served at Lord of Lords Lutheran Church. A light switch goes out. Somebody says, hey, I know how to replace that. Runs off to the hardware store, grabs a light switch and replaces it. They are actually glorifying God using the natural gifts God has given them. And every one of you has at least one, if not way more than one, spiritual gift. In the years I've served Lord of Lords, I've had people say, I don't know what my spiritual gifts are. And Lord of Lords has been quite exceptional. In the past, in other places I've served, I've had people say that. And it's, well, you're not using your spiritual gifts. That's why you don't know what they are. Because you come in, plop down and leave. And often we don't see you very often. But a Lord of Lords, when people have said that, I've always been amazed because it's, wow, when you're gone, we notice your absence. Our church hurts. Some people are very good at just showing God's love. Others are very good at just oiling the proverbial gears, if you will, so everything runs smoothly. You've heard me talk time and time again about when I was a member at Good Shepherd in Cheyenne, the man who had a mentally handicapped, and he was difficult to understand when he talked, he was so mentally handicapped. But I will tell you, when you walked through the doors of Good Shepherd Lutheran Church, you felt loved. I, I, I always stand in awe at the spiritual gift the Lord had given to that man and wish I could show that gift the way he did. How do you glorify Christ as King of Kings? Serve Him with what? with what he's given to you. He doesn't expect you to serve him with what he hasn't given to you, but whether it's your natural things or your spiritual gifts, serve him with them as he opens up the door to do so. And so as we celebrate Christ's triumphal entry, we've asked how do we glorify Christ as King of Kings. And we've seen by today's text, believe him, confess him, pray to him, submit to his will, and serve him with what he has given to you. Amen. Now grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forevermore. Amen.